After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. All right, listeners. Uh, welcome back to the greenhouse. Figure we were long overdue for a fun one. Figure we were long overdue for a Gundam episode, as always. If greenhouse gaslighting is about anything, it's about Gundam. So joining me and Josh in the greenhouse today, our good friend, you know them, you love them, Kennedy, welcome back to the greenhouse, and also welcome back to Twitter. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming back me back to the show. Uh, fuck you for welcoming me back to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's the place to be. I mean, if you are looking for any form of anti-Semitism, I couldn't imagine a better platform to be on. You can find any flavor of anti-Semitism you want, really. I mean, just straight up, including straight up, you know, just final solution stuff. Yeah. Um, as, yeah as promoted by the, the owner of the, the site. Love that. Love that so much. Uh, love to see the uh, same conspiracies that motivated the tree of life synagogue shooter uh, a synagogue where one of my family members attends and happened to be running late that day i oh love to God. see that conspiracy theory uh perpetuated by one of the richest men on the planet just love that so much okay let's move on <laughs> i can edit that out if you need me to but um no yeah, no no you can leave that the fuck in people need perfect, to know perfect. That <laughs> shit ain't right all right, I am an angry Jew. Yeah, we're, on the, uh, we're on a uh, lighthearted edition of the greenhouse tonight, folks. <laughs> I will say I don't know if Elon Musk's um, anti-Semitism is because he's South African or because he's Canadian. That part remains up for debate. Um, actually, uh, you know, um, I'm allowed to get into some scaring the hose content, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, quite a number of uh, the people that uh, worked hardest to bring down apartheid, other than obviously black South Africans, were Jewish South Africans. Right. Uh, and yeah. uh, uh, the anti-apartheid movement was uh, widely considered to be a Jewish conspiracy in its own time. So, you know, some things never change. Absolutely. Some Absolutely. things never do. Yeah. War, so, strife, Twitter, racism. Twitter fucking sucks. War, strife, racism. You know what? You know what else has war, strife, and racism in it? Gundam. Yeah. Gundam's full of it. You know, it, you really pick your flavor. We might we might live in the timeline where Henry Kissinger finally died. Uh, but the Universal Century of Gundam is a timeline where a thousand Henry Kissingers are run amok, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I guess to maybe bring us back on track, to to continue our, um, I guess our last one was Witch from Mercury, so probably continuing where we left off from uh, Char's counterattack last year, right? Um, both of you were right that I could have just jumped straight into today's topic, which is Gundam Unicorn. I did decide to pony up and watch way. yeah, do it the long way, pony up and watch all like the miniseries, watch Zeta and then watch Double Zeta and then get to a rewatch of Char's Counterattack and then Unicorn. 
And holy fuck, this hit different. This hits so different. And I think both of you mentioned that this is like your favorite Gundam series, and that rank is is very well deserved. Yeah, it's easily among the best. Uh, it's uh, pretty much my favorite. Which for Mercury did uh, cause stirrings in my heart that I still have to give more time and consideration to, perhaps. <laughs> but for the time being, Unicorn's still your top series? I think so, yeah. Josh, what about you? Unicorn still stand on top, or...? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, there's like a, yeah, maybe like roughly a handful or so of series that I, I kind of like, they'll shuffle around for like the top spot. Like you ask me yeah. on a different day, I might tell you, a, I'll give you a different answer. But Unicorn's always in the mix. It's yeah, at least in the top that. five. Yeah, 100%. That's solid. And then are both of you still like um engaging on them at any current level right now? right to watch other stuff i've been trying to catch up on f91 but it, it is not starting for whatever reason <laughs> it's just a hour long movie Adi. come on i know i just i procrastinate <laughs> <laughs> um i just watched the uh the Gino Reconquista compilation movies. I had only seen the first three and like the first, the, the second two hadn't come out here yet. And they finally put them up on Gundam info. So I watched those. So that's my most recent engagement with Gundam. Hmm. Uh, I, I've honestly been kind of watching other stuff lately myself. Uh, just been, I don't know. Just been exploring some other things. I've actually been, I've been getting back into Fooly Cooly because they made all these Fooly Cooly spinoffs and I haven't seen any of them. Ah. And so I was like, well, I'm going to rewatch the original series, but because I don't have a lot of time to watch stuff, even though the original series is very short, I'm still like one episode away from finishing that <laughs> uh, at the moment. Uh, and uh, I also got into Our Flag Means Death. Just oh, really is that good. the Netflix pirate series? It's a uh, Max. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I, I had on Max. I've been seeing stuff for it, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, okay. Quick derailment. Our flag means death. Fucking awesome. Something we should potentially talk about on this show. It's really gay. Uh, it's really cute. Um, the thing that you have to understand about it up front is that it is a romantic comedy with a lot of pirate flavor it's not a pirate show <laughs> in the sense of other things that uh, you may have watched it's so it's, it's so it's not so would you describe it as a romantic show of pirate flavor or a pirate show with romantic flavor no it's very much a romantic show with pirate flavor all right it's yeah. and it's strongly i mean it is it is not lacking in pirate. It is it is steeped in pirate flavor, mon ami. The the gumbo, <laughs> it is perfect. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it it's it's just very much like that is the trappings of this story that like are 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 like wonder like a wonderful setting for it. But it's about it is about many queer relationships that is what this show is about <laughs> i'm I'm looking at this premise this is looking crazy like what if steed bonnet and blackbeard were gay and i'm like okay i can get with it's this and I, 
I see Taika Waititi awesome. on it. I already know what to expect. Okay, okay, right. I can see where this is going. <laughs> Thank you um, for the recommendation. I will check this out. <laughs> yeah, especially because I feel like I heard things about it and I wasn't sure about it before I watched it. But now that I've seen it, I'm like, oh, I got to evangelize about this show. So if you've been on the fence, get off that fence. Watch Our Flag Means Death. It's so great. Just jump in. All Just right. jump in. Uh, and the only thing I could say about it as a negative, and if we podcast about it, we'll we'll get more into that, is that uh, it's it starts off kind of slow, like it undersells what is real, what the show is really about, and it's like you get like a few episodes in, and then you're like, oh, this shit's getting really gay. Okay, this is fun, <laughs> but it's like at first you're like, where is this show going? I don't know. So, and that's the only okay. thing I can say about it that is a little bit of a you have to just be okay with a little bit of a meandering start i sat oh, through zeta uh, i sat through double zeta i can do this <laughs> <laughs> it's not worse than that okay perfect perfect <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's that's probably the most meandering start of any gundam show yeah um other than that i'm trying to think Gundam Evo, which is like the Gundam Overwatch clone, that ended service like yesterday, right? Um, oh, did it? I think so. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, it, it, I it, didn't really play it that much, but I know you did. I I played it a lot. I thought it was pretty sick, but like I think people always just thought they would have time to play it. But for whatever reason, I think Bandai Namco decided to jump the gun on Battle Operation and the weird Metaverse project they had that got leaked. Yeah. Um, and they just put the kibosh on this thing, but I don't know. I'm hearing that people on Reddit want to bring it back for um, private server games, so we'll see what comes of it. You know, maybe someday we should do a whole episode about how Gundam video games is a world of disappointment. <laughs> just, just oh, so yeah, much potential. That, yeah, so much potential. Yeah, that's just been the thing I've been thinking about for a while. I mean, you've got that stupid metaverse thing. Uh, which is like clearly an unmitigated disaster, tremendous waste of resources, and then like they just keep like funding like a million mobile games, and like the last like good way, it's been years. It's yeah, it's just brutal. If if you're a Gundam fan looking for video games, uh, try BattleTech maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Armored is there anything good up? for that lately? <laughs> I mean, just the same one from seven years ago or whatever. Oh, there you go. Ah. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, um, the most one of the most Gundam feeling fun mech games that I played this year, although it's really unforgiving in a lot of ways, is Armored Core? Uh, uh, Phantom Brigade. Oh, uh, Armored Core also very cool. Don't want to downplay that, but uh, shouts out to Phantom Brigade. Uh, it's like a turn-based strategy thing, kind of. It takes place on this, like, it's almost like an, a, an like you're editing film on a timeline <laughs> in a weird way, like how you set up okay. actions. I don't um, know how you haven't seen this before. Also, kind and, of like XCOM, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little XCOM-ish, and uh, what's great about it is that when the actions are playing out after you set them up, it feels really fast and fluid in a way that feels kind of Gundam-ish. Okay. 
Okay, we're gonna have to check oh, that out. That's my Gundam game 2023. <laughs> Alrighty. Oh yeah. Well, I guess tying us back to to Gundam Unicorn. So, I guess what were your initial gut punch responses to it on the first watch? And if you had a rewatch at all, did your thoughts on it change? Um, that's pretty loaded. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, like it was like when I watched it, it was like as it was coming out, right? Like I think okay. there might have been. Um, I want to say like the first two episodes were probably out at that point. And this was the OVA um, format, not the TV. Yes, recut, right? correct. Okay. Yes. Um, yes, this was the OVA format, and I think the first two episodes had been out at that point. Um, so I had watched those, and then um you know, watched the, uh, the rest as they, they came out. Um, so I, I really can't tell you, uh, like exactly like what my gut reaction was when I first saw it. But like, I mean, I've, I've, I've rewatched it a number of times. So, I mean, clearly, uh, I, I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Kennedy, what about you? Yeah. Um, uh, for me, I would say this was the series that kind of made me more of a serious Gundam fan. Uh, mm. I, I had kind of a more casual relationship with Gundam for a long time, and then I started to get more into Gundam to some extent <clears throat> leading up to watching Unicorn. I'd watched a few things, some UC stuff, some not. Um, and, uh, and then I watched Unicorn, and, uh, when I watched Unicorn, I just really felt like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to watch all of Gundam now. Like, <laughs> like, like, everything that's ever been made, just to see if anything else is even remotely this good. good. like, <laughs> introduction in that regards, too. Like, it, it, like, especially, like, you know, you have, like, the UC as a background, but you don't, it doesn't, like, you know, you don't feel alienated for not having, you know, experienced it up to that point. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about Unicorn is in a lot of ways it's very much for the fans, but then in some ways it's also actually kind of okay to introduce someone to Gundam too. Uh, especially because it it really starts off like setting everything up and like just kind of being like in 30 seconds here's a bunch of stuff that happened before <laughs> kind of conversations. Um, and uh so I've actually, uh, you know, I think like in general, I think you're you're probably gonna have a better time if you've watched a bit of Gundam coming into this. But I also think yeah. like, uh, I I've shown it to a few people who had never seen Gundam before, and became hooked because of the quality of Unicorn. Yeah, I think that's fair, and like it. Definitely animation wise, I think it's one of the more accessible entries in the UC, like where like, you know, the original has a certain dated look to it. Um I think a lot of the other ones like Charles Counterattack and as well, like they've 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 held up well, but I, I do you like you you look at it and you know that this is from like a time gone past. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's an older style of animation. It's the older animation. No, on techniques. the other hand, you see, I think one of the great things about Unicorn is that is just yeah, how incredibly amazing it looks. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because uh they dumped a ton of money into it. And yeah. so the quality of the animation beats most modern anime made today because most modern anime just isn't getting that funding. And just most, an I mean, even in that sure. era, also most anime, it's not like it's just like a modern thing. But I'm just saying, like, 
in general, like most anime is not getting the funding of of uh, Gundam Unicorn. And so you watch this and compare it to like even a lot of the like decent stuff coming out today and Unicorn looks just unbelievably good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, some of it's the OVA format helps, too. And like this was released over the course of, um, I mean, close to four years, almost five um so like you know it, it just, there was a decent span of time between like there was seven ova episodes and then obviously the tv show was just kind of broken up from that um uh, with like one or two like scenes added more or less yeah um so definitely knocked my socks off on first watch and i've rewatched it a couple of times and it's still good still really really good really enjoyable I, I can definitely agree with it holds up on rewatch. Um, I did talk to some people who had watched it and it was just, this was like their first entry into UC. So no one had any real complaints about like the presentation or the style, but it was, they found it hard to appreciate certain elements like Laplace's box and new types. So it kind of, it does have a certain degree of buy-in. It's definitely not unforgiving for like a first entry into Gundam, but the reward I think pays out a lot more if you've been invested in it to some degree. I mean, it's um, yeah, I think because it's, it's like there almost is no right place to jump into the UC. That is We've true. Discussed this before that a little bit. Um, uh, and so, uh, Unicorn, and in some ways, is as good a place as any, and in some ways, it's not. And it really depends on just the kind of person that you're trying to get into the show to some extent. Like, if if somebody was like came to me and was like just really gung-ho about like i want to understand gundam lore and i don't care how nerdy it is i'd be like okay we're watching the origin (laughs) right right (laughs) you know but like most people who like want to watch something fun if you put on the origin are like what the fuck am i watching this feels like a documentary um (laughs) which i think is the beauty of unicorn right is that what it might not do in lore accessibility and it's not really trying to gundam is not really about its lore it's about its deep themes of like human potential what does life in space look like you know conflict conflict all of that stuff right so what unicorn does is it takes all of tomino's old presentation and like moves it forward into the 21st century both with like updated animation but with like a new take on how it explores new types. And I think like maybe we got to jump into a discussion about the characters. Right. So, um, I think when I started watching this Kennedy, you did like mention, like, it's okay if you hate Banager, but I thought he was like the perfect protagonist in a way. Well, I said, Uh, it's it's okay if you hate him at the start, basically, because sometimes what I warn people, especially if they're like averse to certain kinds of tropes or certain kinds of characters or certain kinds of storytelling, so I'll kind of warn them that, like, you may hate a lot of the characters up front, and <laughs> that's just part of the journey, basically. <laughs> um, a lot I, of I these characters say, oh, behave in ways that are just like they they don't they lack maturity at first, or there's just this or that going on. But then it's a big part of what makes this cool is it's about 
a lot of them kind of growing up and growing out of these like more pathetic kinds of ways of being or 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 trapped or this or that anyway well no that's a recurring theme for like tomino's gundam protagonists and even like gundam protagonists in other series right is like this reluctant hero has to turn into like the person to meet the moment right and he really that isn't Am- that reluctant though at any no, point. no he's not the way I mean, well, I... he's reluctant about halfway through but like gets over that it's it's definitely different with the way he's presented to the way i i saw it right is that if you take new types for what they are which is that they can understand uh people's and objects history to a certain extent the minute he looked at that zaku in the museum that had the bullet through it it had the same like fourth wall break realization to me at least of like Oh, it's a stand-in for the viewer who already knows all this stuff about the Universal Century. Banager is a stand-in for the audience just as much as he is, like, someone who, as a new type, becomes the person to meet the moment. Maybe that's just me reading way too deep into it. I don't know. No, I think there is an aspect of sort of servicing the audience with this series. Um like a meta commentary on UC yeah. to some extent, to some limited extent. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you, unicorn and, and kind of a lot of projects that relate to UC sort of have debatably a problem where they kind of focus like really heavily on like the one year war is like, that's like the big part of like the universal century's history. And of course it is, um, but it doesn't necessarily acknowledge as much of the conflicts afterwards. Um, just a few scattered references and like some mobile suit cameos, uh, primarily. Um, but like because you know, Benajer like was not alive for like the one year war, or was like incredibly young when it would have happened, right? It, it gives you that, um, you know, more ignorant audience surrogate type character, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think we already covered a couple questions in the outline, I guess, right? But, um what do you mean what do you mean like some of the other protagonists in this series too right because you have banager but you also have him playing off of like the only other dynamic i've seen like this i think it doesn't come up in uc that often but kind of like atherin and kira and seed is where i saw this dynamic right of like the reluctant soldier and then like the officer dynamic maybe you can say that's like amuro and um Bright's dynamic in like the original series, right? But Riddy and Banager play a completely different style in this series. Then you also have um Mineva, and then you got not only the the crew of the Nail Argama, but also like the Garrisiers, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting setup as far as Gundam goes, where like there's protagonists on both sides of it, and Banager has to kind of like bridge the gap between both factions to some extent. Well, he is kind of like the bridge between them, right? Like it's, there wouldn't be that connective tissue necessarily without his like acknowledgement of the humanity on both sides. Yeah. That's what I was going to get into is just like the, the, that is part of what makes Benajer's character kind of special in the context of this situation is uh, 
that like he keeps refusing to sort of like just pick a side. Like people keep telling him, you've got to like pick a side here or you, you know, and like, like these sort of decisive things. And he keeps refusing that. And sometimes it bites him in the ass even. But overall, like the sticking to his convictions is what allows him to be like the kind and level-headed person that he needs to be in the right moments uh, that make all the important things possible. Uh, and that, it is that new type magic. That singular like sequence of like him fighting Marita Cruz and he's about to like go for the kill shot and then the new type resonance occurs and he looks into like and sees her past and then like we see like not all the subtle nods to the UC history but also like the the whole point of new types and how the storytelling of Gundam goes about, right? Which is that two people on opposite sides across space can understand each other. And that's the whole new type theory that undergirds um, both like some of the spiritual things of Gundam, but also like the, the political conflict in Universal Century, right? That new types would be able to put an end to human conflict. So you kind of see the magic of new types in that scene and then for it to end in that very powerful no matter what always hit people with even so. I saw that in a really dark week of my life. Like I was not doing well and I saw that scene and I was like low-key crying thug tears but also like <laughs> yo this hits. This is so, so fucking right. Like what the hell? Yeah. Well and this show's like so much more optimistic than really almost any other yeah. show when it comes to that new type magic right? When it comes like when you like think about like the the actual possibility of bridging like you know these connections and stuff like that compare that to you know the original series right where the only real like you know example of that you had was like you know Amro and Lala and you know <laughs> spoiler alerts but uh Lala dies and then you know you have him and Char who just hate each other till the end of time um and then you know Zeta Gundam that really isn't like I mean don't, everyone's pretty rigid there as well, uh, except for Rekua, who I guess you know was just kind of uh, thirsty for uh, some some manly attention that Char wasn't willing to put out, I guess. But um, you know, any any double Zeta is kind of the same deal too, right? Where there's you know even some people who are on a little bit more friendly terms, they don't really you know like you don't get that sort of union at the end, right? And yes, like people do you know die in Unicorn and stuff like that, but you. You have, like, their goals sort of manifesting together, and you see, like, you know, the factions sort of working together to achieve common objectives in a way that you really don't in any other Gundam that I can think of. And that's that's the kind of thing where understanding where what Tomino wanted from his work without Tomino being there to present it is a unique specter that haunts this work, right? Because... Mm. The, the team behind Unicorn really understands the logic of how new types work both as a storytelling device and for, you know, plot implications as well as, like, meaningful uh, expression of themes in the work, right? But then they also understand the political themes, but they're not burdened by Tomino the Man, who, as we come to understand it, you know, was severely depressed when working on Gundam one of his more spicier interviews later and in that interview he basically mentions like yeah i was way too depressed working on gundam i kind of always had this sense that i wanted to end the project prematurely right 
And that's kind of mm-hmm. why Zeta ends on that dark note and why Victory also ended on a dark note in his in his explanation, right? So to have a team that understands the vision but isn't burdened by the creator personally, right? Not that I think Tomino is inherently bad. You know, it opens the possibility. There it is again, the beast of possibility, right? <laughs> it opens the possibility to expand the horizon of what Gundam can be. Yeah. And more broadly, um, yeah, it's like you can present optimism in a way that isn't cheap. Yeah, yeah it's it's a very uh it's a very cool thing in a lot of ways. And and Benajer is like the he's the paragon of that optimism. Uh and he really is just like the most Pretty much one of the most like truly non naively, although na- he is naive at times, but overall non naively optimistic protagonists in a Gundam series. Because uh, a lot of times it's like if they are overly optimistic at the start, it's 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 presented as oh well that was naive. Now reality has you come fool. to destroy you. Mercury, <laughs> that was literally Soleta Mercury's arc. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But Benajer, it's like, actually, your optimism is correct. Um, even though, yes, there are a lot of things that are not good uh, and that go wrong, um, your op- optimism is still the, the correct choice. It's the only choice that will help to create any- anything better from the circumstances. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, I like a lot of the other characters, too. Uh, Marita, obviously pretty complex mm-hmm. character that it's mm-hmm. easy to get attached to i think um uh i also uh uh you know i like i just you gotta love bright noah's interesting little part in this i think yeah if, if yeah you've seen a lot of other gundam well and it's interesting too because like i mean obviously he you know spoilers for the novel he's in the hathaway novel too and that was sort of his like end of continuity appearance but like this was kind of the first time that we saw him animated at least like after he had already had his character arc right so you just have like this you know he's there as sort of this wide wise sage mentor for like a hot second and also you know kind of pulls a few little machinations to uh string the plot along a little as well too yeah um I like the cameos most of the characters, wasted. really. The cameos were not wasted. No, not Yeah, you, I mean, you had Kai Sheedan, like, you know, actually, like, I mean, I guess he was kind of cool in Zeta, too, but um, it's kind of known for, like, that meme, horrible uh, translation of the uh, Quattro is a char um, <laughs> on, the, uh, <laughs> on the script. But, you know, that's uh, in, the, in this, he, he, he had a fun role. Uh, Bill Torchica was there, too. Uh, obviously, although she has less relevance, maybe in this version of events than she would otherwise. I don't know. It depends on you got to you got to do your uh, head cannon with uh, a lot of UC Gundam because there's so many alternate adaptations of so many things. Right. Like, do you go off the uh, 
There's three the adaptations of Char's Counterattack. Literally three adaptations. Yeah, there's more than that, technically. What? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's three, like, named ones, like, in the sense that they have, like, distinct names, but it's like, you have the Bell Torchica's Children novel, you have the manga adaptation of it, which is also different, uh, you have High Streamer, you have the original movie, I'm pretty sure they did a manga adaptation of that as well. So there's... There's a lot of uh, choose your own adventure when it comes to a Char's counterattack. <laughs> a little bit of unicorn too. Um, I had noticed that you had asked in the notes, uh, "Is Benajer like a conveniently scripted protagonist?" And I do think that's an e- interesting thing to discuss, uh, at least a tiny bit, because I think again, Benajer at first kind of comes off as a little generic and a bit of a whiny idiot, bit of a simp. And a, and a total simp. I put up with Kirayama too. This is okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Uh, and 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 at first you're kind of like, is this kind of like just feels a little bit generic and rough around the edges? Protagonist going anywhere? But this 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 guy evolves more over the course. Of, of this story arc than a lot of Gundam protagonists do in longer series. <laughs> this guy yeah. evolves a lot. Uh, and by the end, you don't feel at all, or at least I didn't feel at all like it was like convenient scripting or like he was just kind of like a filling in the blanks. I was like, I love this guy. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, it all felt organic. Every, every like, you know, evolution of his character right and it's like you know he he goes through a lot i mean just in like you know again like you said there's far longer series where frankly a lot less happens than this one um so you know i I think it it makes sense to sort of um you know like seeing him in that lens and whatnot and i think you're right like it, it it feels like he's he's earned his uh you know his stripes and his changes as a character I 100% agree with the both of you. And I think like to really counter that, is he a conveniently scripted protagonist narrative? You know, look at who they have him pitted against a literal char clone, like the char clone to end all char clones, a literal char clone who is the embodiment of like nihilism to its own end. Yeah. So it's, it's beyond like um, convenience. I think it's like, a real theme of like this spirit and embodiment of the possible and like something different versus like a literal husk of what has been and what has always been. I mean, full yeah. frontal basically says that about himself and no, no, yeah, terms. he's very, he's, ex- he's extraordinarily nihilistic about everything. Um, and, uh, just very, uh, well, and you know, Hey, if you came back from the dead, I mean, maybe, maybe he would be too. You know, that's a fair point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think um, the hollowness of Full Frontal is both fascinating and at times kind of terrifying in a way that helps to also like how do you how do you one up Char yet again? Well, they actually kind of did an okay job of it. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think you know it, it it has like this interesting commentary on like the nature of Char as well, right? Where it's like you know there's 
you know, some debate over, like, you know, to what extent is he just, you know, a clone or the actual Char, right? I mean, the, 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 his last scene sort of, you know, shows that, like, you know, he does have some part of that soul within him, right? And he even, like, mentions lines about, like, I don't know why I'm compelled to do the things that I do. Um, it's like I'm being, you know, strung along by some, like, you know, you know, divine or, you know, on you know unnatural force or whatever and i i think like it's you know it's sort of like this is like you know a char who's like failed in his objectives this is uh you know he's as as he notes right you know they've humanity's witnessed a miracle and refuses to change so like this is sort of the natural embrace of you know like all of like the, the sources of those passions you know the rivalry all that stuff is gone so this is just sort of what you're left with yeah, basically wants to enact space neoliberalism. Which, I mean, hey, you know, they already have a version of it in place. Right, it's, right. Uh, <laughs> it's just flipping the script. I think there was a throwaway line in um, SD Gundam Battle Alliance, which is the game where they have all the different universes battle in, like, different events across different timelines so there's an event where i think char in the new gundam can fight full frontal and basically like amuro makes this comment that like this is not the char i knew this is a complete hollow specter who's nothing like him Fighting him is like, like it, they go into like this stupid thing, like, you know, fighting this guy is like an insult to Char, which is, I guess, you know, a fun thing to put in the game. But I think that's 100% it, you know, where you build up Char as this like ideologically driven, hyper focused um, character who, in no small terms, is kind of like going this route because of the horrors that happened in Zeta, right? Like, there's that cutscene in one game where it's literally him saying, because I saw the shit that happened to Camille, I need to blow up the Earth. Yeah, more or less. And then for that character to then, like... I don't know, there's this weird novelization, too, where I, I was reading, or at least uh, the wiki says, Full Frontal is a clone that was subjected to, like, the the fried pen drive of Char's memory in the psycho frame. Yeah, so the procedure oh, that created him, um, which they don't talk about in the the OVA. Um, it's light novel did, only. They, yeah, yeah, it's light novel only. Uh, maybe it was in one of the manga adaptations. I'm not sure um, as well, but it 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 comes up again in um, narrative because Zoltan, the uh, villain of that movie, or one of the villains, um, probably the you know, the one that's they actually fight, but not the, you know, <laughs> architect, right? Like Monaghan, who's also the person who did this to full frontal as well. Again. That movie's fucking great. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. So um but, so anyways, uh Zoltan and Frontal are like from the same cloning program. One was just not successful. Okay, so I, I think we already hit up this point, which is have you watched all the UC before? And is watching all of it. Yeah, we already discussed that. So I guess, yeah, regarding how space magic in this series went, particularly with the concept of psychoframe resonance, um, is the new type empathy tool for storytelling in Gundam a net cool or net weird storytelling device? 
how is the concept or, of new types advanced or clarified with this series? Um, um I, I, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, I think um, it does provide a little bit more, like clarification i guess i mean especially like when you add narrative into the mix which is like kind of like a you know it's directly following up on this but you know mostly with different characters um but uh, i i think it provides some explanation i mean some people might argue it's a little too you know midichlorian-esque um <laughs> I, I personally don't mind it though um i mean i i've i, I think in general, like the new type stuff is like a net cool. Like I, I go in like expecting new type stuff and usually like what we get out of it. I mean, as long as it's not done in like a way that feels like too much of a cop out, which I, I don't think it really felt like that here. Right. I mean, it feel it felt like, you know, it was, you know, we, we sort of boil down these conflicts into, you know, these, you know, metaphysical like battle of wills. And I think that that's the, new type magic sort of facilitates that in a storytelling sense of a otherwise more grounded sci-fi setting. Yeah, if anything, yeah. it's hyper-justified here. Um, like, they they really get into the idea of what is a new type? Is it just a good yeah. pilot? Is it a sorcerer? What is it? You know? <laughs> uh, and, like, they have these conversations and get into the philosophy of it in an interesting way that uh, I think is really awesome and that really helps to make Unicorn one of the best ones because I do think it can get a little muddy at times. Um, but I think it's a cool concept. You know, a lot of sci-fi series sort of have something in them that even if it's a relatively hard sci-fi series in other ways represents this sort of concept of the unknown, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it is both unrealistic and frankly boring to imagine that once we start exploring space heavily, we'll never find anything that mystifies us, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. And like something like new type powers might be a bit of a stretch of the imagination, well, perhaps, but well, the, perhaps the thing... not, or perhaps, you know, whatever. So I just think that it's like, this is a series that is overall very, very rooted in harsh reality, you know? Yeah. You get shot you're probably going to die. Uh, this isn't like superhero rules. Uh, right. You know, um, <clears throat> you're not in a, you're not Bruce Willis in an action movie, uh, unless you're one of the main characters. And even then you're still more fragile than, than you'd probably like to, to believe, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was going to say too, like when you're, you're like talking about like the uh, idea of like exploring space and like the, the odds are something will mystify us, but like really like, I think the Gundam meta franchise, like beyond even like you see, I think in general, like it's really about like exploring humanity more than it is about space. Right. I mean, like they, they never portray like, they, they, I don't think there's any Gundam series that's particularly interested in like space travel and expedition as anything more than just like, a set piece like i mean you get a little bit of like references like i think uh iron-blooded orphans is the only one that i think kind of leans into the like here's what it was like to colonize each of these places yeah because you do bit. have like this and, whole like ancient war backdrop uh and like travel like is actually like a big deal and that like like travel is sort of like in in the uh, witch from mercury for example travel is almost trivial like oh yeah it just feels like oh everywhere. we're going 
where we're going to Earth for the first time. I'm going to big whoop. Um, yeah, it's like there's spaceships everywhere. Getting on one's not that big of a deal. Whatever. But Iron Blood and Orphans, you know, there's a large plot point of the first season is just how do how do we get from point A to point B? Um, and uh, but that's like the, I think that's pretty much the only series that really embraces that like what sorts of technologies and social systems will be needed to colonize another planet successfully? And it's not yeah, just and like, like a there's, there's a little bit in like the backdrop of like cosmic era too, but like that's it. Like it's just pure backdrop. It's never really about that. It's just kind of like, yeah, we mankind's in space. Like uh unicorn does to be fair, acknowledge a little bit of like, yeah, like, you know, this whole space colonization thing was basically like, you know, penal colonies. <laughs> And that, you know, they yeah. had, like, you know, you, you do have the scene on, um, what was it, is Palau? Palau, it's Palau the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, where, like, you have, like, the little church, and, like, Marita's like, yeah, like, you know, these people had nothing, so they, they tried to, you know, find souls in the light of God or whatever, and, you know, that, that was uh, interesting, because it is kind of different from the world building, but usually, like, I think Gundam, and even that, right, is sort of exploring, you know, the human condition, how does humanity cope with the unknown rather than... Um, you know, how do we just, you know, figure out how to, the, the logistics here of, you know, traveling in space and colonizing. I will say also, though, although we didn't get, like, tons of it, that uh, I did enjoy the world building about the Von Braun facility on the moon. Yeah, because, like, it's always something that's, like, been there, and it really isn't like talked about that much. Like they kind of, and even in this, right. Like even when you actually literally see like people who are in charge of Anaheim electronics and like, you know, where, you know, they're stationed on the moon and whatnot. You don't really like find out like that much about how, like, you know, how does this organization work? Just how do they control everything? And it's like, here is like really the only explanation we get, which is like, you know, conspiracies. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, they took a really um what's the author's name fuck like yeah uh they took like a real peter dale scott approach to how states and societies carry out politics at a deep level right so you have this like real conspiracy with the vist foundation anaheim electronics and the earth federation acting in tandem to basically maintain this lie that new types were never really a thing, you know? Yeah. And it's it's like a very pilled way to to consider how nation states would operate in what is ostensibly just a sci-fi series, you know? Well, when it's not even, it's, it's a little deeper than just the new type thing. It's really a conspiracy to, you know, undermine, like, the rights of self-determination for anyone living in space. Pretty yeah, much. The, pretty the much. you know evidence for new types is just like, oh shit, like that's that was the entire pretext in that like, you know, false promise we gave them. Man, if this ever got out, that would be really bad. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's a really it's it's uh this is one of the most philosophically fascinating Gundam series, and that's not a light statement to make. No. And uh, the new type shit here is just a great part of that. 
So I was all in <laughs> for pretty much everything. I think if there's any flaw with Unicorn, it's just that the middle is the strongest and the beginning, the, like the bookends are a little bit just kind of softer by comparison. But that's a tiny complaint, you know? Uh, the middle is uh, kind of the more heavy hitting, like emotional side of it. And I, and I think that's fair. Um, but, but, uh, even still, like, uh, even when it gets into the, like, uh, like ultimate space wizardry stuff at the end, that's a little bit more of a softer touch in some ways. It's still pretty fun. Really beautiful. Also like yeah. unbelievably beautiful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think you could also look at it as like, it's a necessary denouement from like a really like big buildup at the start and like a big payoff during the middle like mm -hmm. the the invasion of like the earth federation headquarters and the uh all the fucking like vintage zeon suits coming out the water at torrington base crazy yeah. crazy some incredible so could... fan service moments <laughs> well it's cool too because like we've we've you know i mean obviously like torrington was where the colony you know around the colony drop air zone but it was also we've, we've seen it in stardust and it's like it's the same base yeah um, like it, it looks the same and whatnot so it's like interesting just seeing and like you also kind of get the sense that like this is like such a low priority like defending this position by the federation that they have all their old mobile suits here too Yeah, it's like yeah. where um, fan service and like thematic payoff really intersect, where you have like the old ghost of like the Federation versus Zeon playing out in this new conflict, and all the new characters have to like react to this, you know, payoff in the immediate story, but also like it is a part of the old history we saw, whether it's like stuff like. Um, 8th MS team with um, jungle combat and stay behind mm -hmm. soldiers, whether it's like um, similar concepts that are brought up in like Gundam Thunderbolt, although we don't know if that's canon, you know, we, we mm -hmm. get to see it play out in like a mainline story. So it's, it's definitely pretty cool. I guess, I guess on that I, edge, oh, go I, ahead, go I, ahead. I still just want to like, I really want to give credit to, to, to the writers that it's like, this shit is great if you are already into Gundam, but it's also an okay entry point. And I just think like, and uh, I mean, it's actually, there's a lot of, there's so many worse entry points that you could go with. Yeah. Um, that I think like, you just really have to admire how well they struck that balance. I know we've touched on this a little already, but I just think with some of the themes that we're talking about right now in particular. Yeah. Um, and I, I was going to say, too, if, like, the Xeon stuff is, like, you know, when you understand more about, like, the world, right, you understand that, like, this isn't, like, one movement that's, like, converging to attack the Federation, right? Like, it's, like, they talk, they, you know, they allude to it, right? Some of these were Char loyalists. Some of them were, you know, Haman loyalists. And, like, those people were not people who had, like, the same ideology or anything like that. So it's, like, interesting where, like, you kind of, like, get that understanding of, like, the layman perspective. That they're just kind of really just united by their hatred of the Federation, um, which, like, you know, if you understand, like, you know, those differences or not, it's still, like, I, I think that the core message there really comes across. Like, yes, you do get a greater appreciation for it if you know more, but uh, you're not, like, left in the dark if you, if you don't. 
I'm now remembering something Kennedy said in a previous Gundam episode we did where it's like, what if there's a cave somewhere and it's like some Xeon guys sitting out Char's counterattack and it's a cave full of Zaku 3s and they're just like, I'm not with I'm not with Char on this one. I'll wait till the next one. Yeah, I mean, the hero was the, the, this is literally the it. This is literally guys. it's those guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, think- and there's like, um, I, I know for sure, like one of the games. I think it's missing link, like the uh, Ifrit Shanid that shows up. Like they gave like a whole backstory to that pilot, and then there's like some other side stories too, like the uh, goof heavy arms that you see in like the European castle. Like, there's a, a side story where he, like, never made it to the battlefield because you never see him again in that episode. You just see the the, the appearance of his, his mobile suit and then, like, he never shows up. Uh, and he just got, like, sidetracked by something else and, you know, ends up surviving Torrington because he, you know, could never make it from wherever he was in Europe to Torrington. Yo, when are we going to talk about the suits? Let's talk about that right know. now. Let's talk about that right now. <laughs> we answered this question. I had like a, oh, look, it's Glup Shido, like, you know, joke for UC heads. But I think we meaningfully addressed that. Yeah. Let's get into suits. <laughs> Let's get into suits right now. Um, I'm a big fan of the suits in Unicorn. I think. It, it, it kind of peaks here, right? Like. Super peaks here. Especially for UC stuff. Um. But also, just somewhat in general, like I, it's hard for me to think of another series with better suits other than Witch from Mercury, which <laughs> is one of the reasons why Witch from Mercury again tugs at my heartstrings. And sometimes I, I, I might tell people that's my favorite. Um, sure. But uh, one series has Jagans in it. Uh, but yeah, we get we get Jagans, which of course just incredible. The you got a collection also. of Jagans here. Um. Oh god, the Jagans are so good. So many good Jagans. Jagans are, of course, one of my absolute favorite mobile suits. <laughs> um, and you uh, get their I, their strongest showing, right? Which is the the opening uh, battle between the Stark Jagan and the Kasatria. Yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of Jagans just get blown up without doing much in this series. <laughs> and to be fair, he They're didn't really so do that cool. much. They're so cool. <laughs> Um, also, uh, uh, that Echoas Jagan. They literally made a CIA Jagan. They They literally made a CIA (laughs) Jagan. All right, listen, uh, uh, I know ACAB must include Echoas, but in Gundam UC (laughs) universe, I guess I'm just a fascist. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. Um, (laughs) what, what about the Jesta versus the Jagan? What do you think? Uh, uh, I prefer the Jagan, but I really like the Jesta. I think the Jesta is a really cool suit, also. I th- the Jesta um, edges out a little bit for me, but fair enough. What for about me, you, Josh? The, the oh, Jagan has a little bit more of this, like the Jagan looks like a like a hot '60s car a tiny bit in just the right way or it's something. A, it, it's it's like a 70s impala you know what i'm talking about you yeah, know? yeah 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 or it's it, got it's, like a uh i don't know it's got so it's got it's got some kind of magic going on with it and then the the jester still looks really cool but it's he, he just a little bit more of like a, a chonky greebly boy and that's cool too you know no hate 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, this there's like so many like awesome ones to go for. I mean, obviously the unicorn itself is is sweet. Like all so versions cool. of it are so really cool. cool, right? The banshee um, as well. Um, I liked the, uh, that was actually an OVA choice was uh, changing the armaments of the Banshee, especially for that first fight uh, between it and the Unicorn. Um, I liked that. Like, it's just kind of a nice way to distinguish them. And it really, like, especially, like, that claw really adds a certain, like, primalness to it, uh, which kind of fits with, you know, the fractured mental state of uh, its pilot at that point. Uh, um, yeah, also, really quick. Uh, shouts out to the Jesta Cannon for being one of the better Cannon Gundams of all time, or mobile suits, not Gundams. You know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. Doesn't get to do like a whole idiot. lot, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like Cannon Cannon suits in general. A lot of them are kind of weak, especially like everything in between. Like the original, the original Cannon suits. Yeah, like the Gun Cannon and the original Gun Cannons. Those were like iconic, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a long period where a lot of the cannon suits in the middle don't really do it for me. Um, the Jesta cannon is like a proper, a good proper cannon suit that you like to look at again. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, and shout outs to, I mean, the, the Sananju uh, was sweet. The, uh, the Neo Zeong uh, as well. I mean, that, I, I remember that that's like one of the things where I really remember like my first reaction to that because like, the novel, it didn't exist. It, it was just the Sinanju uh, versus the Unicorn and the Banshee for the final fight, so it was kind of, you know, a little lopsided against him. But the Neo Zeong was added for the OVA, and I remember, like, when they first unveiled that and just, like, seeing how they, like, you know, sort of, like, mastered, like, the mobile armor aesthetic. Um, like, all of, like, you know, the cool bits on that one. Um, and so- it, it just feels like such a threatening final boss, too. Oh, yeah. So many of these just have really good shaping. Just like, yeah, just you don't you don't have that feeling of like "Mm, that bit feels a little silly and out of proportion or that bit seems a little bit tacked on or I don't know, like just things that sometimes I feel when I look at some mobile suit designs where there's just you know, a little bit of a little bit too much or a little bit not enough of something and it just feels not I feel like quite they right. And I feel like they really like perfected a lot of like the like designs that were like the inspiration for things, right? Like I see Audi looking at the, the Rizel. The Rizel uh, is definitely my favorite. It's definitely yeah, like, my favorite and like Rizel, line. like it's um you know, like when you look at its lore, it's like oh it's, it's like a, the Zeta, on- the Regi Z, the Methus, and yeah, like- it's like but it's like it's built on the Methus frame. And like when you see how it transforms, it's like, oh yeah, that's exactly how the Methus transforms. Like, how'd you not see it before? It's so fucking cool. And then they yeah. even like brought back like the Ankh show, which is like the It's the uh it was the uh Ashamar. Yeah, the Ashamar. So like they basically understood like what made like yeah, the, the, the Federation has decided to openly embrace its fascist roots. Um, <laughs> but, but basically like what they did with the designs of these new suits as well as like the classic ones, right? Is they gave it a Jagan's face. Well, they gave it a Jagan's <laughs> face, which is perfect. That's all you need to do, right? <laughs> But you know they t- they they understood what made all like the the Zeta era designs and then the the original UC designs as a whole really cool. And then you bring them into the 21st century, right? So you get these cool yeah. designs that are like clearly inspired and really like you know wearing on their sleeve that they're influenced by like these classic designs. 
but then also they let the old suits shine. So like the Jagans get a lot of love on the, on the fights on Earth. You've got GM Jim twos and Jim threes. You got like the Byerland, which was like a blink and you miss it suit from Zeta show up again. <laughs> that was around. That was the piloted by the main rival in Zeta, so it wasn't exactly blink and you'll miss it. That's true. That's true. So like, there's a lot of like references that pay. Well, out. and like it's- the the Casatria compared to like the Quinn Mansa, the Rosen Zulu to the Hamahama. Like you could see like the direct lineage, and they feel like kind yeah. of like oh god, the Gira Zulu really is like a pretty sleek oh yeah machine like a lot of the a lot of the early uh uh zeon suits some of them just have proportions that are just like a little too goofy at times and this one did a really good job of like the the gear zulu is a great example of one that just like looks perfectly proportioned but also still looks like a zeon suit not Mm -hmm. a federation suit it has that vibe uh, I I like that one. I like the a, a lot of those, a lot of the newer Zeon suits. Like it's fun to see all the classic ones, mm-hmm. but a lot of the the like modern weapons that the that the Zeon remnants are running are also really fucking cool. Yeah, or they're like repurposing ones from Double Zeta, which didn't get a lot of love, right? So like the Dryson was this like mm-hmm. really goofy clone of the Dom that was in Double Zeta. And then they just made it look so intimidating in this one. Yeah, like it, it's it's kind of one of those things where like um, as like kind of a just a you know general like hobbyist and collector, like you don't realize sometimes like how much like a recolor can really just like brighten like or you know not in this case not literally brightening, but like really just spruce up a design, right? Like they, there's nothing changed here. I mean the proportions are drawn a little differently, but like it's it's primarily just like. He got rid of that weird purple, and he just has like a a nicer like tone. Yeah. It's like if the Dom fucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, s- sort of circling back, but also somewhat saving the best for last. The unicorn fucks so hard, so yeah. hard, so hard. Like holy shit, this is one of the coolest fucking Gundams ever. And, and the, minute, the minute that it streaks out there on the battlefield and people go out there and go, Gundam, you don't, you don't doubt that that's how they would feel. That I, they I, would be like, they would be like, oh shit, that's, that's it. it. That's it is, the thing. It is interesting. Like, it, it does feel like, because that's like something that I was thinking about in general with Unicorn was that there's like that mysticism that like this attempts to reapply to everything where like, you know, the term Gundam and Gundam pilot means something where like you look at how many UC side stories there are, how many mangas there are, how many OVAs where like, especially like 08 The Mess Team where there's like a million fucking Gundams. It feels like, why does this mean anything? Right? Like, it's just like anyone can pilot a Gundam. But like here they, they really like make it feel special again. Oh, yeah. It feels very special. And uh, again, like, I just can't overstate that, like, when when the unicorn gets out there and people start freaking out, it just feels deserved. This thing looks like nothing else on the battlefield. And it's moving around in this way that's very dramatic. And when the lights get going it's just so cool looking and god it's just such a good design Mm -hmm. um 
Uh, yeah, seeing the unicorn transform, it's like it brings the magic of like very classic mech anime to the 21st century because it's like seeing the Gundam launch for the first time, even in like that super old animation style, it comes up from the ground. The the V fin shines and the eyes start glowing and there's that boing sound, you know, like there's there's very few feelings like seeing a Gundam start up for a first time, and having it be this like nondescript white mobile suit transform into like the iconic Gundam, which had mm-hmm. this like battlefield propaganda effect in in Gundam, right? Where it's like the Zeon soldiers see this like dynamic white mobile suit and start freaking out when they see it and knowing everything we know about the lore of this world it's like it's like it's like fireworks going off it's like someone snaps their <laughs> finger and you fucking get it that's that's the magic of this series it's like it's if like you the know, twin towers got hit again which ooh, we, we should uh, we're gonna talk about that in a bit we're gonna talk about that in a bit we really are we're, i'm gonna bring that up oh god bit. yeah that <laughs> but i think you're 100 percent um, spot on like the unicorn it, it, itself i'm so the transformed version obviously is is the is the the win the winner here you know in most ways but i just want to also give proper credit to like just the basic version looks really good and interesting and they managed to make yeah. it look exciting enough that like you're excited about that design when you see it untransformed um uh just from like the first moments you see it, you're like, that's that looks pretty cool because the proportions are excellent. Like the shaping of all the different parts and panels is just feels really good and right somehow. Um, and uh, there's just and that that horn, of course, that singular horn is really yeah. dramatic in its own right. Um, and so there's just this, and the stark whiteness of it also adds to the drama. So there's just this sort of it's like it's not as showy as what comes next, and I definitely prefer prefer the transformed version, which is why that's the one that I've built. Um, but uh, the um, the untransformed one is also really fucking slick looking, and it gets you hyped up. And then you're already like, "This thing's pretty cool," and then it transforms. Lose my mind. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's cool too. Like, I mean, uh, even Transform too, where obviously it's a little bit more um, developed as a design. But like, consider like the context of like when this ca- like this design like you know the hit the shelves right? and stuff. Yeah, like this is after like you know, or this is like kind of during a little bit of like Double O, um, which was a little bit of a scale back from like Seed. But like, I mean, like those were like the the things where you just have like these like kind of. In a lot of cases, over design, over design suits, um, massive backpacks and whatnot, and like yes, like the full armor unicorn is a little bit, you know, upscaled and stuff like that. But you know, you it's it's interesting, just kind of like how scaled down a lot of these. I mean, yeah, like Awakening the Trailblazer, like that was like literally like like a contemporary of the unicorn OVA, um, and you can you know just compare those Gundams to like the unicorn and it's you know night and day in terms of the aesthetic that they're going for 100 percent. so i guess i don't know let's 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 get back to our aforementioned quip on 9-11 right 
So I think we've already <laughs> covered. We have this themes and subtext section of the outline. I think we've already talked about you know the treasure hunt plot line with Banager in the middle of two factions. You know, optimism in the face of despairing collapse. I think I think we addressed that pretty well, right? But I think I, we we mentioned this earlier, and I think it's good we get back to this again, right? Which is um. You know what Peter Dale Scott would refer to as deep politics uh, comes up a lot in Universal Century, and it's it's the big backdrop of of this series itself, right? So we can kind of get into one of the writers of this series, Harutoshi Fukui. He's been accused of being like a Japanese nationalist, but for sure, like he gets called like the Tom Clancy of Japan <laughs> sometimes. For this, like, you know, like that's, uh, a, that's a crazy ass title. <laughs> it's it's really crazy, yeah. right? Because like he had this, like he wrote this, like f- like script for a movie once, which was like Japan is fighting to get its military back so it can like fight China or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, and some of those like instincts pop back up in like the novelization of of Unicorn. So. The the scene in the OVA and, and TV adaptation of you, the big mo- red mobile armor destroying the Federation base in Dakar um, was verbatim supposed to be like a 9-11 allegory. Well, like, that whole arc is like radically rewritten. Like Fukui was the, to be clear, he was like the light novel um, author. Okay, okay. Right, so he, um, you know, he was, I think he was involved with the OVA as well, but like, so he's, the originator of a lot of these things, but the whole arc on earth is different. Like the Shamblo and, and, and the, the, the mobile armor and the uh, Garvey family, like we just have Loni in the show and she's kind of um, more of your traditional, like, you know, Zeon soldier, like her parents yeah. are killed. She hates the Federation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she had a whole family in the light novel that was still alive, uh, including her dad, who was a, um, Islamic terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, and basically, like it was, it was like a throwaway thing, right? Where it's like, yo, the Zeon is using Islamic terror to further its goals. They kind of touch on like, like, like Islamic. This was more so because he was like spearheading this, so it was more so like, you know, a jihadist is using Zeon to achieve his goals. (laughs) So. Yeah, and like they they brought him back in one of the manga adaptations too. I think he was a little toned down. Well, it's kind of um, his appearance certainly wasn't toned down, but like they toned down a little bit of that. But like it was, you know, he's like raging war against the Federation because it's like the white man's government, and uh, they were you trying have, to pick like, up that thread in like Double Zeta. Remember, where like yeah, you had like the, the North blue African. Team and, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um. So like that's kind of a lingering thread of that, and I and I don't think it's necessarily a bad allegory, but like here it was a little over the top. You do have a scene where the Shamblo takes down a pair of towers in the light novel. Maybe you might call them twins, uh, in fact. But uh, you know, so like it was kind of heavy-handed. I see why the OVA opted to um, just scrap that and just keep the uh, the mobile armor and the. Uh, the girl and uh just just move on from there i will say i don't know if it was my translation or if it's crunchyroll's translation that did this but full frontal even in the ova makes a reference to the Mahdi for some reason when he talks to loni garvey 
Oh, it's her dad. Okay, so it's supposed to be the Mahdi. Mahdi Mahdi Garvey is... Okay, thank God, because I thought he was talking about, like, like Islamic um, (laughs) eschatology and the apocalypse. That really got me scared. Well, I mean... That got me scared. Names have have a purpose, right? They do, they do, right? That's probably why that was his name. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, Mr. like Mahdi Garvey was, was her dad's A second RX-0 Gundam has hit the towers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't oh, yeah. believe that there's real real 9-11s in this one. I'm, I'm yeah, going to say they... it. Ekoaz did 9-11. <laughs> you know, you're right to say it and you should. Um, <laughs> Ekoas was behind the Kennedy assassination too. Zaku no one else was can't melt steel beams. Zaku fuel can't. I thought it was Minovsky particles. What is it doing? <laughs> they could have used a heat sword or a heat hawk for crying out loud. And hey, those heat hawks are pretty useless in the original show. To be fair, I still can't believe in this series they had like somebody pull out a heat sword against the Byerland. Like that was funny. That was really funny. <laughs> Oh, and it wasn't even his too. It was it was like one of the Zulus, and it like just grabbed the sword from one of the older things and just charged at him while the other guy ran away. Amazing. Yeah, the choreography on like a lot of those fights were really cool, especially like the ones that are like just the big battlefields, like the the attack on Torrington, um, the attack on Palau as well. Uh, yeah. and there's a few others as well that are just like it's it's really cool just seeing like how they put together a lot of those fights. And the one in Laplace, too, that was also another major highlight. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think definitely it. the series has a mature political conception in what is, like, you know, an ostensible, like, science fiction work, right? Like, it has a very mature idea of what would an organization like the Earth Federation get up to in its spare time. And it builds up to, like, the same kind of pessimistic view of uh of of politics that Tomino had, right? Which is that the Federation, despite having all this power, is always getting up to dumb shit rather than leveraging its power to something good, you know? And then having Zeon, you know, try to cut back backroom deals. That was the plot of Char's counterattack. And to have these conflicts and interpersonal um struggles of the characters play out in that framework. Uh, it's brilliant, and it's also it makes for rewarding combat scenes for the viewer. I don't think they review rewarding for anyone involved in them, but it makes the war um, scenes in Gundam so much more emotionally resonant. Right? It's like we're seeing people like driven to their lowest points by mm-hmm. really immiserating political uh, decision making. That's somewhat reminiscent of the world we live in, you know? Not entirely, but somewhat. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, there's a lot that Unicorn has to say about society, (laughs) really. Uh, This sounds a little silly to say, but, like, it really is, like, this one is really driving that point home more than some of the other series. Yeah. It's like, hey, listen, we got to think about inequality. We got to think about this. 
Yeah, because usually, like, the tell me no ones, I mean, some of it's like that they have like a little bit of a pessimistic tone where it's just like, yeah, this is just how it is. Like, it sucks, whatever. Um, but some of them as well, like, it, it's like they're not like, um, and I, I think, you know, I, I did actually watch the uh, video that uh, Adi had put as a link here for the uh, the politics of the the ideology of the Earth Federation. Um, mostly just kind of like to recap some of the stuff that I was thinking. But like, in most of like Tomino's works, like the Federation is like not like, it's just like they're there. There's some bad people there, but it's, you know, they're the good guys. That's, you know, who all the good guys fight for. So they're not that bad. Um, really, like, Double Zeta is kind of the point where it's like, okay, like, this place is, like, maybe kind of fucked up, where they're, you know, you literally have, like, hey, yeah, let's let Haman drop a colony on the Earth, like, help depopulate things. That's that's a great idea. Um, and then, like, Char's counterattack, you just kind of get, like, a federation that's just, you know, brain dead, right? Like, that's that's kind of, you know, like, cutting a backroom deal, like believing that that would like resolve the conflict uh like yeah. wholeheartedly and like they make it very clear that everyone responsible for it they don't they don't have ulterior motives they're just like oh no this is going to work it's fine giving him a massive asteroid after he just dropped a massive asteroid on the earth what's the worst that could happen bye bye tibet um this is the and let, i'm not uh, misremembering this i hope but this is the series where uh I believe it's Full Frontal makes the point about Xeon losing the battle of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something that, like, that has actually, like, affected my personal perception of politics deeply. <laughs> go on, go on. Because, uh, uh, like, I had never really seen that point articulated like that before, but that is a, like, relatively deep historical truth. And now, of course, all historical truths have lots of exceptions, so don't take it as like you know uh an absolute now. <laughs> but uh but it did this did really speak to me because um i find that there's a lot of truth to that concept of uh if you are in the position of trying to change the status quo then time is not on your side uh in a lot of different situations and that i don't know that's just something that has like resonated with me is, really yeah, yeah, towards justice show. and <laughs> what'd you say i was like but the moral art but the moral arc of history is slowly going towards justice like you know, what, are you talking, what do you mean we're running out of time <laughs> I mean, it arcs. It arcs that way. Ah, uh, yes, the that... end of history. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. sorry, <laughs> man. Somebody show Francis Fukuyama under unicorn. He gonna change the thesis <laughs> real quick. He the gonna change of, it. Real... The end of post history. <laughs> the end of post history, right? I mean, um, I think. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I just think in general, also, just when you're tr when you are the person who has a claim to prove. I mean, we could even apply this to, I was lit. I'm, I'm not just pulling this all together right in this moment. I actually already had this thought separate of this podcast. You could apply this to the young thug trial, right? I knew the it was coming up. I knew it was coming up. <laughs> the, fact, the fact that the trial is going on for so long is in young thugs favor, just as a reality, because it is the state that must prove this thing. 
you know they have the they have to like create this proof of this thing and that like because like it is their conjecture that must be proved time is against them and the fact that the trial is going to run so long people are going to get increasingly bored and start to feel like this is just like a dog and pony show even if it is true i'm not saying it is for young thug um uh so I, I actually think about this concept all the time of like who who has something to prove in a situation and time being against them. Because if you're trying to change people's minds about something or like basically prove that something is true or real, then time is against you. The longer it takes you to prove something that you're claiming is real, the less people tend to believe in it. There are important exceptions to this, such as religion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I never really made that analogy before, to be honest. Um, I, I think it's I, I think it's totally valid. It makes a lot of sense because, I mean, like the reference to the time was like a very literal sense that like they literally had like a like a the mark your calendars. You lose your independence on this on your political independence on this date in universe. Um, but you're like, I think you're right that that that, that is something that like is resonant beyond just like, you know, this you know, very specific context that. In, yeah. Well, I mean, it, full frontal makes it clear. It's not just the literal date on the calendar, although yeah. of course it, it did exist. It is this, it was the philosophical concept of like, you know, the people got tired of waiting to see what this new thing was that was supposed to be so great, but kept not appearing. And yeah, it's, it's that rush against time that motivates his villainy at in, in, in a real way. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's it's reminiscent of the world we live in, you know, where it's like the struggles we're up against. I mean, for crying out loud, this would be like a generational project, even with the best minds that work on it. So, yeah, Gundam is one of those useful series to me, at least. Right. Like, I, I don't know if there's a word for this phenomenon where like whether or not it was the intent of the artistic work to give you this impression, you looking at it from your standpoint. And then interacting with it can like give you a realization about something you were already thinking about. Is that standpoint theory? I don't know if that's the term for it. But like Gundam has been somehow because of its grounded politics remains useful for some of this. And I think like on a similar vein, although not as profound as Kennedy's realization, I think like Tomino's, you know, like steely eyed realism about politics and nation states even though it's like highly fictionalized have been like kind of useful but it's the pessimism that he has that i also face and deal with right and i think what this series did is like it kind of as part of its storytelling structure but also like its thematic message is that you can be incredibly realistic and steely-eyed about political institutions or political systems being corrupt or incompatible with certain principles, but not like become solipsistic or nihilistic in the process. And that I think is something I needed to hear when I watched the series for the first time, because I was really skeptical and really like in a pessimistic mood about everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, tying this back to like real world politics and just, you know, life in general, right? Is that 
you know, just taking a, f- a pure facts and logic approach, there's no point being nihilistic or endlessly pessimistic because you have no way to know it's going to go that badly. Yeah. Why not be optimistic if not just for the placebo effect? Um, at least, yeah. And I mean, like the nihilism. Is, <laughs> yeah, and like the nihilism here is portrayed a little bit more in like kind of a spiritual sense of like you know, yeah, yeah. Sense, like you know, new types are, are able to you know kind of transcend time, and he's literally seen the end of it where there's just nothing. But it's like that does feel just so like existential and like i guess because like you know he's had that experience of like well like it's not existential to him because it's like you know just reality right like it's you know for him that was you know yesterday or whenever you know he had this particular revelation um but uh you know it, so it's it's a little different in that regard but you know it it does kind of raise you know like you, you can see where that nihilism roots in like just sort of like this giving up on like having a meaningful political ideology, right? It's just like, yeah, yeah, let's just settle for this, like, you know, neoliberal Zionic project. Like, that's against, <laughs> like, everything that, like, this cause has fought for in the past. But, yeah, fuck it. At least, you know, at least it's a W in the books. And I think, you know, I personally believe that you can't really affect change through nihilism, and you have to be optimistic to affect change in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least positive change, you know, negative change. We'll we'll just ignore that for the moment. Um, and uh, if you want to enact negative change, what's the roadmap now? <laughs> uh, I believe they call that a manifesto. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so if you want to enact positive change, I think you need a certain degree of optimism, and I think that this show does illustrate that kind of thinking in a in a way that is compelling to me was compelling when I watched it and I think has been compelling to other people that have shown it to you. Um, because ultimately, like, Full Frontal accomplishes nothing at all, right? Um, like, yeah, I mean, I don't think he necessarily he, wanted to either at that point, but... <laughs> but it's like all his dreams really come to nothing. Like, their final battle is way out in space, away from everybody. You know? Like... I mean, I do... <sighs> I kind of question because I know some people are like, oh man, like they time traveled in this show. This show really jumped the shark, but I'm not sure if they literally like, cause it's like, I don't like, did Riddy just like see nothing in any of that? Right. Like, cause he's, he's exactly where they like left him before they went on this supposed journey. I always thought that was more of like this metaphysical thing. I didn't think they like literally like, yeah, I just saw that as like full frontal doing the psychic vision stuff more so yeah. than anything. Um, so me and Josh were talking about this while you were out making your tea, right? And I think it's worth maybe repeating this bit, right? Where it's like, there's a key line when Full Frontal meets Banager for the first time and literally says, I'm just a vessel for other people's hopes and dreams, nothing else. So he's like, from the jump, you know purely nihilistic and solipsistic in that deep existential way where like he doesn't even seem to believe in free will or that like his interests are anything worth pursuing if anything he's probably acting on the directives that are most amenable to certain factions in neo zeon but well that vessel line comes up a few more times too several right? times like he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he offers like you know Benaja that opportunity too is like you know you you ha- are also like you know a vessel in some ways of all of these like you know conflicting wills as well that you've you know interacted with 
And then, like, even, you know, at the, for the final battle, right, he's like, you know, two Gundams oppose me, the vessel of humanity. Like, these are supposed to be the, the hope of humanity, yet, like, you know, this isn't compatible. Yeah, it's, it's more like one is the collective sorrow and one is the collective hope. Who deserves to yeah. win in such a... I, I'm sorry if that, that language comes off as, like, religious or, like, needlessly woo-woo, but that's thematically what they're going with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Definitely, I think, what can be said about Gundam Unicorn that we haven't said already? It's it's brilliant. I think we can come back to it, but, you know, when we had you on for the Char's Counterattack episode, Kennedy, we presented you with a very spicy Tomino interview. We felt it would be time to bring you back for yet another spicy Tomino interview. Oh, shit. Would you like to see what the man himself was getting up to? I'm so ready. Okay, so I got the major highlights of the interview in the in the outline. I'm going to pull up the interview just so you can see it. A lot of it is pretty tame up until certain points. So, yeah, so this is I don't what, what was the context? Was this the DVD so, release? Or yeah, I, I want the context for this interview. I think it's like a bonus feature for the Blu-ray for Victory Gundam, right? Okay, so this is uh, this is after he's over his like depression of telling people literally not and to he's buy o- the series. Um, like literally when like the D- the it first came out on like box like box set, he was like, "Don't buy it." It's and dead. this is also well after he's done Gino Reconquista. So like he even yeah. mentions in this interview that like by doing Gino Reconquista, I was able to get over all the regrets I had doing um V Gundam. And uh Josh, I know me and you were talking offline about this one point, like all the weird motorcycle and wheel designs in Victory Gundam. Yes. So I did read the interview too, and I think you mentioned that in V Gundam there hits a point where like everything is motorcycle reason. Yeah, like all the, the, the Zanskare Empire just like ninety percent of their mobile suits are just motorcycles or wheels. And again, like I think if they were consciously going for this, no, you don't understand. Motor vehicles are inherently fascist. Like storytelling theme, I would love I'd love to see that. But the way Tomino sets it up is like it was one of those um pressures from uh from corporate or from the studio that he felt pressured <laughs> to go along with and then he was and he literally animated all this frame by frame and was disgusted by it but still put up with it and then he even mentions like i don't get it because i thought that anime as a medium uh could accommodate such ridiculous things but i didn't like it and then when i saw films with cgi like the event they don't do any of this shit all the design is like, you know, contiguous with like the art style for the movies. So it pissed me the fuck off. Like he, that's, those were his words. Those were his words. So he was, he was just like, you know, I wish I didn't like listen to the studio when I did that stuff. I haven't seen V Gundam yet, so I'm not gonna judge. I have, but I haven't seen it actually. It's a so, trip. It's, it's a, a trip. Sh- it's it's focused on like space colonies invading a segment of Eastern Europe, as I understand it, right? It like really late you see. Yeah, it's UC one fifty. Um, so about sixty years after this, 
Um, the colonies of side two have formed the Zanskar Empire, which um, it there's some tie-in with like Jupiter involved with that. Um, a very recent manga retconned the so one of the main villains, who the one from Jupiter, is like being a big admirer of Shiraco. So you know you kind of have a little bit more tie-ins now to like the early UC stuff uh, as well. But that's kind of um, the main thing there, and it's. Um, Victory Gundam had at the time the youngest protagonist in the series who some speculate is Char's uh, descendant um, because his mom has Nanai's last name and looks just like Nanai and wouldn't it be cool if Char's like great-grandson was like a Gundam pilot I guess um, so that's you know some of the context of Victory as a whole Nanai mentioned once again is Nanai's yeah. supposed daughter serve cunt because if not um, well, I mean, she gave <laughs> birth to a kid and gets her head decapitated later, so, I mean. That's kind of a wave. I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, if you give birth to the protagonist, that's a, that's a feather yeah. in your cap. I, I'd say that, but. Uh, speaking of servant cunt, we've got a. <laughs> oh, boy, so. Why we, you've opted to share this interview. Okay, so do, do I bring back the Tomino voice? Sure. You should bring a picture up of uh, Katagina Luce first. I, I, okay, just, so let's just bring up have... the character. Okay, so Katagina Luce. Yeah, because I've never seen I've never seen v, v Gundam. So yeah. this is this is the antagonist, and you can already see based on the figures what we're dealing with here. Okay. This yeah, is yeah. official yeah. art. This is official this art. Is, no, that's straight from the uh, the show. That's like oh my the, from the second blast. That's like the. Uh, Ending bumper of the second to hey, last episode. But the fact that this is just so clearly Lady Char to the point where she's like maybe giving like a almost like trans vibe in a way. Like, uh, Tomino, you got some splaining to do. He, all right? he will explain. He's about to explain. No, but I, 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 well, okay, let me see what he does explain because I want to know, like, you know. <laughs> How much do you want to fuck Char? What's the deal there? <laughs> I mean, he literally designed the character based off like what he felt he would want to fuck. And now like we've got, you know, as you said, you know, a very like strong Char design language translated to the uh the female form. He is extremely char coded. <laughs> It's char coded, but there's there's gonna be some surprising developments. We're, I'll walk you okay, through. Okay, I'm ready for surprising developments. All right, I like the sounds of that. All right, I'm gonna bring back Tomino voice for this one. So <laughs> the interviewer, nonetheless, I had no idea you were so fond of, fond of Katagina. Really, I like the name Katagina Loose too. The reason it suddenly occurred to me to bring that up is because just one hour ago, I remember the source of the name Katagina. There was a source. So he goes on and talks about how he got inspired by it through an Eastern European literature collection. And he got the name from a book there. The story I read there was about Jewish people in the Holocaust during World War II. Cold drop. As I was reading, I thought about creating Kajina as a character who sees herself as the perpetrator for whom fighting as a combatant is nothing but killing something inside herself. For a while, I completely forgot about it, but a few years ago, I happened to see that book of Eastern European literature on a bookshelf and recalled, oh, that's right. 
ah, so the character of Katagina came from Eastern European literature then. It's like the anecdote about how the name of the protagonist Camille in Zeta Gundam came from the female sculptor Camille Claudel. They're nothing alike. I was trying to do something more impactful with Katagina. So when it comes to her voluptuousness, that's derived from the sturdy attributes within her Jewish heritage. Hmm. Cold drop. Cold fucking I, I, drop. I like how it's like the Holocaust has to be in there too, right? Where so it's just like the Holocaust. He's just like man, like Hitler. Hitler took out took out some great pairs. So just 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 out of, out of, out of curiosity, do they mention she's Jewish at any point in Vegan? No, no. That's what I thought. Um, the, all of the references to because there was a, another one, I think. Well, I want to okay, say, so, say it was Jamatov in Zeta was supposed to be like a Zionist whose objective was to like kick like bad people off Earth to just give the Jews Earth. For real? Like, that was that. Yeah, it was like a scrapped early idea that he had. Also, double, I, I o, double o Gundam is is Jewish conspiracy Gundam. And we don't like talk space about lasers, literally, literally. Yeah, you there know, is literal space laser in that, so, too. Yeah, a little. I don't think it. I, I'm gonna bring up. I'm somewhere. not even that sensitive to this stuff in a lot of ways because I was only partially raised around the heritage and the faith in a weird mixed faith household where my mom's an anti semite, and um, uh, uh, it, I I was as soon as I started watching Double O Gundam, I got a little ways in. I was like, "What the fuck is this Jewish conspiracy?" <laughs> 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 so I'm gonna botch the retelling of this event. I don't know when this happened. I don't know if it was the British who did this or if it was like Imperial Russia that did this. But at some point, that fraudulent document, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, was presented to like the Imperial Japanese. Okay. <laughs> and they and they were like, damn, that's crazy. We gotta consult them on this because we're trying to take over the world too. <laughs> That was like a literal response. It was like, yo, they're already ahead of the game on us? Shit, we gotta respect the hustle. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Reject Zionism, Gundam. Watch Seed instead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as the, uh, like, the stuff I said that John Hoff, that he didn't end up doing that, but like, that was like the original backstory, and it might explain why he has like nothing going for him in Zeta. It's just like, the leader of the Titans who's there to die. <laughs> oh my god. So then Tommy Tomino gets on and like this is this is the most crazy part. This is the craziest part of the interview. Yeah. So I'm gonna start with the first sentence because like it starts tame, then it goes it gets crazy out of nowhere. So <laughs> Eastern European literature this is Tomino speaking. I'm not gonna do the voice. Eastern European literature has a unique atmosphere. What do you mean you're not gonna do the voice? Eastern European literature has a unique atmosphere, but I think that kind of introverted, refractive feeling is something Japanese people don't understand at all. So it's hard to get used to it. They have a history of being occupied over and over again without acknowledging it, even though they're enduring it every day as they live their lives. And then if you're Jewish, you're in an even more complicated social position. When I went to Prague to record the V Gundam soundtrack, I wandered out as far as Auschwitz, cold drop. <laughs> this was before it became a World Heritage Site, so it wasn't as well maintained as it is now. 
I couldn't bring myself to look at the incinerator, so I was just standing at the surrounding scenery while I basked in the sun by a building at the entrance. The woman walking by the outside of the site were cheerful with sturdy, healthy physiques. <laughs> I had the strange sensation that these women, the anxieties in Eastern European literature, and the Holocaust that once took place were all overlapping without overlapping. But that experience gave me the conviction that Katagina's direction wasn't a mistake. Dude, what the fuck is going on right I'm now? I'm telling you, not even God could prepare me for this Tomino interview. <laughs> yeah, Tomino I mean, uh, so far out of pocket right now. <laughs> well, and the, the best part is, is like none of this is reflected in her character. <laughs> like, I mean, she has, Tomino like, puts way too much yeah. thought. He puts yeah, way too like, much fucking thought. And just stuff that, like, he doesn't convey to the audience outside of these interviews. So it's just like, I mean, I guess it's like, like when you're... It's like the Chris Nolan of anime. No, no, no. You know who else is like this? Hirohiko Araki, the author of JoJo's. That dude <laughs> also just be traveling places and then's like... Yeah, but you know JoJo's to... be full of little references. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Gundam, Tomino be like... Be like, actually, I've been reading a lot of classic Italian literature, but then he doesn't directly <laughs> reference it whatsoever. It's like it's like there will be like a guy just reading the book that he, <laughs> he's currently obsessed with, like, and it's like that's the next stand user, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Like right. Yeah. There, there's a there's definitely a bit of a difference. It's 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 again we're we're back to square one where where we are at with um Char's counterattack where just this insane amount of thought put into like Nanai who's like a, a second tier character in the plot of that movie right no, and he's I over here to... go ahead go ahead going, finish your thought first. well I was just gonna say it's like he's he's over here talking about like bro she's got a fat coochie. And Char yeah. would be an idiot if he wasn't with her, you know, like just going out of his way to spell that out to us, the viewer. And again, it's like at no point is it even implied nor necessary to know, you know, but that's the yeah. level of thought he put in. No, there's, there's the a level. throwaway line that he said that she doesn't make me very happy in bed. Oh, God, there is that. Yeah, He's yeah, that throwaway that. line. That is true. Um. Uh. Oh fuck! What was I gonna say? Shit! Uh, no, I do. I I really he I really want to defend this. Tomino is the Christopher Nolan of anime because Christopher yeah. Nolan gave this interview recently where he was like, you know, there's still a lot of little secrets people haven't discovered about Oppenheimer. And I was just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is kind of the thing we were referencing when we did our Oppenheimer interview, if you remember, Josh, where it's like, you know, Nolan, like, went out of his way to, like, back up the the idea that, like, Gene Tadlock was murdered by the CIA, you know? Or not yeah. the OSS in this case, And right? then you've got, like, I mean, I haven't watched Napoleon yet, but then you've got, you know, Ridley Scott on the other hand, who's like, you know, fuck you historians. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I, I want to see that me. movie so bad oh. because apparently it just completely leans into Napoleon being a wimpy little incel who's 
just destroying the world because women don't like him. And I, I just no, think that, that sounds fucking awesome. Well, that, well, well, that's the thing, right? Is like, so I, I watched this like last week with my partner, and like we had so much fun with this one. One because like <laughs> the historical scale and like the epics, like shit, the paintings brought to life, they do that part well. But there's a lot of like unintentional comedy. And a lot of people are reacting poorly to it, but the thing is, is like my o- my only reason for why I I know a whole scaring level amount of Napoleonic history is I'm a fan of this show called Age of Napoleon. It's a great podcast. I think people should check it out just because it's a fun one to listen to. But basically, the host like does an amazing amount of like research on the subject and lays out a bunch of historical opinions about Napoleon. And basically, the truth on Napoleon is lost because every account of him is either like he was the best guy ever, he invented liberalism, he brought the Napoleonic code all across Europe, the, and the, the other first, the first education system. He was the first education system for crying out loud! Like that, it's either like hagiography or it's like Napoleon farted in every room he went into, and I fucking hate him. So it's like, that is literally the historical record on Napoleon. So like the parts that make sense, you know, in the podcast, the host basically is saying like, yeah, Napoleon was weird around women. He was really weird with his like wife, Josephine. So like the way the dynamic played out to me in the movie, darkly funny, but also like the historical record doesn't indicate one way or another. And from Mm -hmm. what little we know, he was weird with women anyway. So like, why is this bothering people? Or then the thing about, like, you know, Napoleon complexes, right? That's an amalgamation of stereotypes about Napoleon. Like, he was too short. He was too arrogant. He was a micromanager. And these are true to... I mean, the short one is not really, but, like, his arrogance is a is a repeat aspect that comes up in his correspondence and correspondence mm-hmm. about him. I'd say the best record of Napoleonic Eric, like, uh, primary sources is the letters that he wrote to people and letters people wrote about him to other people. So in those letters, people bring up his character. You know, people talk about like, yeah, he's this, he, you know, in the same people who would call him heroic one day would also talk about what a pain in the ass he is to work with. So for him to like have tantrums on screen, it's not too far from like the historical record that we have on top of like the, the swinging pendulum of opinion around him historically and at present. So if we, he has this reputation as this like, you know, famous scoundrel of history and a movie depicts him as a scoundrel. Why is everyone getting upset? I thought you hated this guy. Well, I do for a lot of that controversy like was coming out even before the movie came out, just from his like attitude towards like, <laughs> as a director his attitude towards like the historical record and whatnot right, I just thought- it's exactly yeah. there's there's more historical like historically accurate retellings i think like there's a 1926 film hmm. that's like a five hour six act like story of like napoleon's <laughs> life that's a lot more sympathetic to him but also is one of those it's one of those okay. but it's also yeah. allegedly more like um historically accurate because it covers a wider berth of time so you can get into more people. There's also like a shorter one, but it was really influential Waterloo, which was like an Italian Soviet film um, uh, project that was really well, but it like only covers his last battle, you know? So 
there's like at least 50 films made about Napoleon, and this is just like the newest entry. For what it's worth, I thought it was entertaining. And for what it's worth, Adi, it's not just you. I've heard this from like two other people now about it being a hilarious anti-incel type of movie. <laughs> and I'm into that. <laughs> right. It's, it's like the kind of thing where, I mean, now we're just going to get meta here for a second, right? But it's like when you adapt a story to film, the choice you make are the adaptation. And how you justify those choices to me is like an artistic style and how you prove the merit of your art, right? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, Ridley Scott, being the kind of guy he is, he's hot, he's like, you know, this hard-ass guy who doesn't care about historical accuracy but cares about um, depicting, like, high drama and uh, spectacle. That's what he prioritized in his film. And that's what comes out brilliantly on screen. High drama and spectacle. If you came yeah. in here expecting to learn Napoleonic history, joke's on you. I think we're uh, we're veering into the next episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is that is our next film episode. Right, what, else, what else did Tomino say? Um, in the rest of this interview, he he gets back to being tame. Okay, that I was I was worried there might be something even more out of pocket coming. No, this is actually like the, the one part I will mention that's kind of humanizing, right? Is like um. So the interviewer asked him a question. This is a naive question, but might it be possible to make a new translation of V Gundam as was done with Zeta Gundam? Hey, oh, sorry. Huh, this is the first time anyone's ever said that to me. It's hard to come up with a reflexive response when you're wait, asked Wait, 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 so I like the idea of, 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 of New York, like a New Yorker Tomino. <laughs> well, this, this is the first time anybody's ever said that to me. It's, quite hard to come up with a reflexive response when you ask so suddenly. If I use the structure I previously created, then yes, it's possible. I think the framework of the story is fine, but given my regrets about the visuals, uh, I'd have to change them completely. I don't think it's something that would be easy to revive. Anyways, I don't feel like doing it. In the end, it's just more Gundam, right? I don't have time, time for things like that. If I wasted my times on such things, I'd be good as dead. That was the perfect voice for that, actually. (laughs) Okay, so the interview goes on. This is the final um, question in the interview. (laughs) So looking at it like that, I can see that the themes of war and ethnicity you had at the time of V Gundam were passed on to Turn A Gundam and G Rico. That's right. Otherwise, I'd never have started reading Hannah Arendt. Oh, God. But that kind of relationship between works is just a matter of the creator's schedule. And I don't think the creator should be talking about that unless G. Rico gets more recognition. Classic Tomino. Looking back over the past 20 years, though, I'm honestly glad that it didn't end with V Gundam that I made so over-seriously. But God, as far as G. Rico, which talks with the outrageous realism of 800 lies about what humanity should be. I believe those of us who learn, who earn a living from Gundam have a duty to move forward like that, even if it's just a little bit. Which rings true to what Unicorn ends up being, you know? Yeah. 
And unfortunately, we have yet to make an earning from Gundam, so we're not ready to move on. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's our that's our findings from the V Gundam box set interview with Tomino. Um, and I, I guess what what can be said about that as well as Gundam Unicorn in general, right? Where it's like a severe amount of thought at a variety of levels being put into what is ostensibly, you know, a mecha sci-fi anime. It would be cartoonish, you know, to think about like this 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 kind of show would have such deep commentary and insight on concepts of like, you know, politics, war and peace, human potential, nihilism and optimism. 9-11. 9-11. Literally, literally, right? Um when you said nihilism, these... uh, nihilism, I thought you were gonna say well, it, you know, it it led us there. It, it, I guess, I guess. I I mean, I, I feel I feel like we've really like run the gauntlet on like good things we can say about this series, but I think like there's a reason why we keep coming back to talk about Gundam on this podcast, and also like why it, it's holding up as evergreen to me is just because like it captures a lot of these ideas pretty well. While also yeah. serving its function as like sci-fi entertainment, and to me stands out as like a top five example of where it shines in doing that. So, yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for throwing this one together. This was this is just such a great series to get to talk about. For sure, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and we recommend you check it out. Uh, whether you're new to Gundam or whether you're willing to sit through the entire UC timeline to get to it. I think both experiences are rewarding. For sure. All right. So with all that being oh, said, one of them is more rewarding. I'm not telling which one. <laughs> <laughs> with all that being said, um, I guess, I don't know any other closing thoughts before we start wrapping this up. Um, nah, this shit slaps. I think that's yeah. about all. I think that's about all there is to say. Yeah, hopefully we can find some more uh, Tomino interviews to share as well. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I I think if I just want to say anything about Unicorn that I haven't said enough already, it's just God, it's so pretty. It's so pretty. Go watch it because it's pretty. Even so, go watch <laughs> it. All right. Kennedy, thanks for joining us for this uh, for this episode. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, no. All right, solid. <laughs> well, I'll have the links to all our social media in the description below, uh, as well as I don't know anything else we gotta put. I don't think so. Thanks for tuning into this one, dear listener. We'll see you in the next time. Take care. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.